Coming up on the show this week, plenty of action in the cricket world, new ICC members and new T20 World Cup groups, plus part one of our chat with Julia Price in the USA. But first, a shout out to our Emerging Cricket patrons who help us do what we do. If you're passionate about cricket in the associate world and beyond, you can help us grow from as little as $2 a month by becoming an Emerging Cricket patron. To sign up, log on to Patreon. That's patreon.com slash emergingcricket. Nick, Tim and Nate Hayes take you through this one. Enjoy yet another EC pod. Welcome, one and all, to the Emerging Cricket Podcast. This week, Bez is away on Olympic duties for Channel 7, so it's just me, Nick Skinner, and the returning Tim Cutler. Tim, how's things in Vanuatu? You've had a week off, been very busy, I assume? Yeah, I was thinking it through just then, you know, how do I answer this question? It's been game of two halves, and no, it's been bigger than that. (laughs) Moving house, everybody everybody loves moving house. That was uh, late last week, that's why I missed you boys. Played golf on Saturday. Oh. Golf day, wonderful Port Vila Country Club, Port Vila Golf Club. I'm sorry, sorry, Mark, when you hear this, because you know he's been yelling at me about my Bishlama. So now I'll probably get the name of the golf course wrong, so I'll get in more trouble. Um, <laughs> and I made an interesting decision. You know, it's the middle of winter, and you know, 30 degrees, 70 percent humidity. <laughs> I decided to walk and, and and carry my golf clubs. Didn't even get a, a cart. Didn't drive myself around, nor did I get a trolley for my clubs. So I basically sweat through my clothes and I got to the point about halfway through where I watched the sweat line go down my shorts and then get all the way to the end and end up dripping. It looked like I jumped in the water, which is not far away from the course. (laughs) Beautiful course. Um, So that was good. Stafford, Cutler and Bray. So, you know, there's one World Cup century out there on the course, but uh, that that was good. (laughs) And (laughs) haven't even got to Sunday yet. Beautiful spot for lunch the other side of the island at Banana Bay. I think uh, Shane Dietz used to talk about that. did you talk about the... Uh, the Banana Bay Doctor, yes. The breeze coming in, yeah. No, the Banana Bay Doctor, yeah. So that that was my first time out there, which is great. And, and got through this week, first board meeting, and uh, again, more boxes and furniture moved out of the container into, into my new place, so I'm feeling even more settled. So I'm all well. Yeah, Bez, Olympic, like his social media, working with the contract at the ICC, working on the Olympics. Who's going to edit all our stories now? That's the big question. <laughs> well, we've uh, we've had to make the call around to a few of the emerging cricket contributors, <laughs> um, but uh, yes, I, I'm sure we'll uh, we'll manage. Sorry, Nicholas, I didn't I didn't even get to ask you how you are. I was too busy <laughs> talking to Bez, and here you are right in front of me. How are you? How, how's lockdown? Oh, lockdown is uh, much the same as it always is. Uh, time, time's sort of uh, ceased to have all meaning. Mm. Getting up at eleven o'clock again, um, which is a bad habit. But um, and and winter as well. So it's cold, yeah, it's, it's dark, and yeah, you don't want to oh, get up. Dear. Well, all the best to everyone listening in uh, at certain elements of lockdown and other stresses. Uh, let's let's move on uh, to the big news of the week in emerging cricket, and that's that the ICC has three new members. We're all pleased to welcome Tajikistan, Mongolia, and Switzerland into the family, and the ICC's membership list has now grown to 106. Tim. Yeah, and those keen watchers that uh, would have known that we were at 104 beforehand and 104 plus three is not 106. <laughs> that is because we have, we've lost a family member as well, haven't we, Nick? Yeah, so Zambia has been uh, booted. Their membership was terminated for continued non-compliance 
uh, with a, a number of governance issues. Um, they, they seem to have gone missing um, in, in a lot of communications. Um, the word was that they weren't really... Yeah, they weren't returning anybody's calls, and mm. it's all a bit strange. Um, I'm not quite sure what was happening there. Yeah, I, I, similar. I think a year ago, when they were originally suspended, Vanuatu hosted a pop-up T10 tournament that I'm, I'm sure we've all heard heard me talk about, and everyone else talk about it. And enough, they the same group approached Zambia to to run something down there that was very professionally broadcast. I think Supersport was involved, and the likes of Pommy and Bangwa and others were were commentating. Or albeit from South Africa, you wouldn't have known it was a very slick production but i you know what you said i think is basically what we heard as well on the grapevine that you know does not answer emails and uh, or any any queries sort of sad state of affairs i remember steve minari's piece about morocco was similar you know the icc trying to get in touch and trying to talk to people are they talking to the right people or whatnot so that that sad news there it's always sad news to, to lose a member and, and russia who we've seen pop up i think uh, shonak saka did a great piece speaking to the the chair there they've been suspended you know with teams in the the european cricket league as well I, i'm not sure whether that will have any any effect there but um we can only hope that over the course of the next year they do everything they t- need to there from a compliance point of view you know everything that comes through with the funding that comes through from the icc you need to be submitting your census figures and quarterly reports and showing that you're ticking all the boxes to to stay as a member but uh, you know as you said 106 and i think that is, is that the most members ever i think so i i can't because it wouldn't have been much past 106 would it no I, and i think about our, our goal on our patron page um of saying that we want to get over oh we'll have to move that up yeah now, but, we? sorry everyone that, that's <laughs> like a pretty good goal was 104 patrons and i think we're we're well over halfway now and uh that sounds like a very good time to plug our patron page to sort of help paying for the website and everything that we that we do which is yeah good good segue <laughs> yeah, i know it was really good it's patron dot com forward slash emerging cricket but you can go on there and support us from two us a month i, I feel like I, I should have had that one ready to go but all all these things you got to think about now we've seen the chat going around in the editors crew and whatnot about oh uh, hang on we've, we've got to update our switzerland tajikistan mongolia profiles to say that they're actually members now and add the years like oh dear we, did, we didn't think about this stuff when we wrote up the, the profiles that then we'd have to <laughs> like that was static bits and pieces that we put in there so no that that's great news you know switzerland's story was a bit of a sordid one with a bit of uh, past infighting between two potential boards and it's good that they've sorted that out at least as far as becoming icc members again and mongolia the story of one man coming to australia in 2000 2005, seeing cricket and taking it home and, and, and creating a country sport out of that and becoming ICC members, which is amazing. And Tajikistan, I think we've seen, again, Shonak write a number of pieces, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, and seeing the, the growth coming, well, the potential growth in, in Central Asia. Yeah, that part of the world is uh, shaping up to be a real uh, real hotbed for cricket. And even you know, relating to Uzbekistan, the Andy Moles comments where he he went over there and um, talked about just setting up cricket in a country that was you know, literally starting from scratch because, again, some enthusiasts, um, I think in Uzbekistan, it's someone who went to study in India and, and caught the bug. And as you said, in Mongolia, it's this guy, uh, Batluga Gombo, who's um, uh, he was visiting his wife who was studying in Melbourne and, um, again, saw people playing cricket and, and, and picked it up and brought it home and um, if you visit Emerging Cricket and the Mongolia piece that Shonak did, there's a, a really cool ground that they've built with a, a pavilion in the style of a, a traditional Mongolian tent called a Gur. And, you know, we, we talk about Rwanda's um, Gahunga Stadium as, as very photogenic, but I, I think the Mongolian one's not too bad either. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that he's nicknamed it the Gurvillian <laughs> <laughs> as well. And, and I, I think the, the photo that, that is on that piece that you mentioned is, is 
in the foreground, you've got this new set of artificial wicket nets. I think uh, three or four wickets there. And then there's that pavilion and the rolling hills and the clouds in the background. It's uh, majestic, I'd say. So, no, as you said, like Rwanda, Mongolia. Where else? I think uh, Nepal and... <sighs> Hate to bring up a full member there, but Durham Charlotte, you know, with that view again towards mm. the, the Himalayas. Hard to argue with that. Yeah, that's. There was that one that the, the Irish played the A series against the Netherlands. It was on, I think it was on a horse farm. And just, again, the rolling hills of Ireland, very green, very lovely there. And look, and that's why I think we'll, we'll probably get on to the, it's like another segue there, Tim, get on to the, the World Cup groups that have been announced. That's, I'm really looking forward to watching Oman on the TV because I'm assuming we're not going to be able to fly to, to watch it there <laughs> but with the mountains in the background and that skate you know we're in a different world now we're not looking for, for full stadia and screaming crowds when we know that can't happen but the, the background that we could have there could be up there as well we know how hard they've worked to get that facility up and running but um, yeah there's some some beautiful grounds out there and I just uh, I guess our challenge will be in the next few years to as many as we can get to as possible but I think we just got to park that idea at the moment especially seeing the situation that we're in I I, I mean, yeah, I think for now I'd, I'd settle being allowed to travel more than 10Ks from my house. Um, but uh, yes, Mongolia one day perhaps. Um, but as as you mentioned, another big decision was made this week and, and it relates to the upcoming T20 World Cup. Uh, the ICC recently uh, changed the groups. They rearranged them due to rankings and, you know, coincidentally the, the rankings uh, having shifted between now and the original schedule it means that India and Pakistan are in the same group. Who would have thought? Uh, but it's it's also changed the qualifying or, or so-called first-round groups, which, I, I mean, I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense. And I know you've uh, you've put a bit of thought into this one. <laughs> well, I've got... You've, you've cornered me now, haven't you? It's like, I can't get out of it. Otherwise, I answer that or we re-record the whole bit. But, yeah. You're, you're, no, you're bang on. And I, I've... It's not so much thought of it. You know, it, it's a two-speed qualification process for, for this World Cup. You know, and who knows what the future holds. And we've got 20-team T20 World Cups and the men's side anyway coming. You know, it was the top eight teams and they go automatically into the, the Super 12. And then the next ranked teams fall back in the qualifying groups. And then the, the teams behind that come in via qualifier. You know, some is on rankings and some is on a qualifier. So I don't understand how in the world that we've had in the last two years, the ICC would suddenly decide to change the first two groups, especially from the qualifiers coming in on, on rankings, because it hasn't been equal for, for every team. P&G can't even get out of their country to play games. You know, they're having to plan quarantine on quarantine on quarantine to try and play in Australia, to try and get to somewhere in the Middle East beforehand. So why should their rankings be judged against other countries that have been able to play? Or, or, I, I just really don't get it. You know, I know that we talk about how under-19s, you know, has a, has a lifespan. You've got people that drop out of age groups but th these are teams that played in a qualifier in the last competitive cricket that all these teams were in the same place at the same time why change that I, d I just don't understand that and it, you know I think f a few people have said oh it's to help Oman to get through or to get Oman playing in the at home no I don't think so if they wanted Oman to be playing at home you could just play the group that has Oman in it there at Musket I just don't understand the, the perspective of rankings in teams that that have come in through a qualification tournament. You know, if you're going to go by rankings, then 
those teams wouldn't be the ones that qualify. You know, Nepal would come in and, and, and one other would, would, would drop out. And, you know, it, it doesn't work like these. these teams have come through from a qualification tournament. So, yeah, it, it's, I don't know. We talk about eyebrows being raised. This one's raised a lot. You know, we've been waiting for this event for a long time and so have the players in these associate teams. And this will be the third venue that they thought they were going to be playing at. And to have this change now, geez, if I'm Ryan Campbell right now looking at where the groups were when they are now i would be pretty annoyed and i know life and sport is a matter of controlling the controllables and i don't know how much effect getting angry about this could have in this situation but um i don't know do you see any any logic here nick um well i i don't see any logic i think speculating what happened was probably that the uh the money people in the ICC wanted to get India and Pakistan in the same group so they sort of um <laughs> reverse engineered some kind of system that I don't understand but that that would allow that to happen and then uh, from there everything else kind of just they they didn't really pay attention to what might have happened at the bottom end of things and I mean you you, you talk about the rankings having changed and they have changed, but yeah, I, I can't imagine if, for example, you know, what if the Netherlands had managed to play a few games and they'd moved up to number eight on the rankings? Would you then say, oh, well, sorry, Afghanistan, you don't qualify directly anymore, drop down to qualifying? They, they wouldn't have done that. So it, it seems a bit weird to be changing all the uh, qualifying groups around. And, you know, just looking at them, the original groups made sense because you had Netherlands in one group, they finished first. Then PNG in Ireland, who finished second and third in the other group. And then Namibia in Scotland, who came fourth and fifth in the first group. And then Oman, who came sixth, back in the other group. So it was it was the snake distribution method. And that was, you know, seated in with the full members. And just looking, you know, I think Bangladesh are probably the luckiest team. <laughs> they, they, you know, originally, if the tournament was played last year as originally planned in Australia, they would have been without Shakib playing in Australia and, you know, playing against Netherlands, Namibia and Scotland, which is, that's a tough group. Mm. Uh, but this competition, they're playing in more favourable conditions They've got their best player back, and they're playing against uh, Oman, PNG in Scotland, which, no no disrespect to PNG or Oman, they're both perfectly capable of beating Bangladesh, but I think the Bangladeshis would be uh, sort of more comfortable playing against them. And, you know, on the other side of things, Group A, you've got Ireland, Sri Lanka, Namibia, and Netherlands. I can't pick that at all. Any of those could go through. You, you could end up with a situation where everyone's beaten each other, and it's it's just down to net run rate. Do we... Do we- put the uh, the sticker on it the group of death is uh is group a oh for sure that is a banging group ireland sri lanka namibia netherlands and then the other group is bangladesh oman papua new guinea scotland as you said toss a coin and you know we've seen sri lanka's form recently in 50 over cricket but you know we've still got another couple of months and and we know the talent they have especially in the in the shortest form wow you know it's just one of those groups you look at geez i wish i was there but we will be able to watch it but that's amazing but um yeah it's it's a head shaker but again it's like one hand head shaker but on the other at least we're going to have some cricket to watch and we can only hope that everything goes smoothly i don't think the locations have been named yet for where the game's going to be played which again a little i'm not sure what that means because normally you think they'd be getting things out as soon as they can but that's to sell tickets but that's not 
so important this time, is it? I, I know that they were talking about getting stands in for Oman, but they've got COVID numbers that are pretty high too. So whether we see crowds or not, and I guess if there aren't going to be crowds, then that's not something we need to worry about so much. And we've seen the technology used and the coverage that uh, we saw the IPL and everywhere else that, you know, we don't need crowds for, for the games to happen, but it would add that much atmosphere and, and especially for home fans in, in Oman to be able to watch their team play if they are playing there but um, I guess we'll wait and see I'm not, I'm not sure what they'd be waiting for there and, and whether we're only going to see first round games in Oman or, or maybe a couple of Super 12 matches as well which would be great for that facility in Al Emirat This is Gideon Haig for what it's worth and you're listening to the Emerging Cricket Podcast Well, this week it's double guests on the Emerging Cricket Podcast as our American correspondent Nate Hayes joins the call to chat with Julia Price, head coach of the USA women's team. Welcome in, Julia. Thank you very much. Now, I know you have crossed paths with Beths in your time in the media world, but unfortunately we couldn't line up all the time zones to fit everyone on the call. Uh, But how's it going over in the States? I I believe you've just landed in Houston? Well, Yeah, got in last night mid hurricane fallout i think um so uh, yeah we've already had one of our regional games the t20 today called off um which is a bit of a shame but as we had in in uh, raleigh at the eastern regionals as well the first t20 got called off so we're sort of hopeful over the next we've got three three more games 250 over games and a t20 on sunday so we're hoping we'll get some cricket happening at least at some stage so so it'll be very disappointing if we if we don't we had such a good time in in raleigh at the eastern regionals that we're really wanting to replicate that here in the in the west that was a little bit of a bummer the um the first rain out in raleigh i i had um vacation scheduled for that week because you know fourth of july and everything so that would that was the only game i had a chance to go to and then it got rained out but at least uh i got to you know help help super stop the field and things like that (laughs) which is which is always uh it's fun to be around a big tournament when it's about to happen but it would have been great to see some games yeah, definitely. But when we've got three in, pretty much thanks to you guys and uh, obviously the PCL and all the volunteers that we had in Raleigh that really banded around it. 10.30 at night, they're out there with super stoppers and putting covers on and doing extra stuff to make sure we got the games going. So, And the fact that Morrisville is such a beautiful field as well was you know, a massive bonus and it drained very well and we, and we got the games to go ahead and the sun came out, which also is helpful. But yeah, Houston not looking too amazing for tomorrow either, but hopefully with the 50 over game, we've got plenty of overs to play play around with even if it is a rain reduced um game at least we'll get some sort of cricket in we're hoping well as as rem says houston is filled with promise um this is probably a good time to look at the structure of this comp you just mentioned the women's regional so what what is the tournament and you know what's it kind of designed to achieve yeah well i think in the past we've uh we're trying to work on a system that one is going to promote the game to newcomers and get people an opportunity to just play the game at a high level but also at the same time allow us to have girls playing in competitive competitions fairly regularly on good fields that allows us to see them you know competing under pressure constantly which will then help going towards their uh, progression towards the USA team in the past it's sort of just been a couple of combines one on the east coast one on the west coast and then sort of slapping a team together which isn't ideal and it's also those that can sort of afford to fly that far if they're in one of those two regions so by starting with the intra-regionals that we started in may um, we had 12 cities across the country that we identified that had a um, from a 
a survey that we put out that had sort of women's cricket interest and, and talent already there, plus from a lot of talent IDs that we'd done uh, sort of in the past sort of 18 months. So we had 12 teams in that, which was fantastic, really good fun. Nate came out to that one also out at Raleigh. But, and just the excitement that was generated about that, you know, from we had women that were over 50 years old who'd been waiting, you know, their entire lives to be able to play cricket with their daughter <laughs> in these competitions to young sort of 13-plus girls who are able to play against other girls for the first time in their life because they've either been playing in boys competitions or or not at all so it was really exciting for them and it was great to get around to a few of those um those games and from those 12 cities we had divided them into sort of four regions so from the regional cities they we had a regional team each uh in, divided into four so at the moment we've got we're calling it the west which is basically oregon washington and california all down the west coast um, versus the southwest, which is Texas, basically, and then for the eastern region, eastern regionals, it's uh, all the top sort of northeastern part of the east coast, and then the the southeast southeast central sort of region, which is Florida and Georgia and uh, all that sort of group. So, basically, what will happen is that I think we're just about to announce it now. It should have nearly gone out. I don't want to go on our media release, but we should be announcing our east coast regional team that will be playing a west coast regional team in Florida and our nationals on the second um, to the eighth of August. So, to me, that's a really good pathway. We're sort of narrowing the talent, um, making it harder and harder, and challenging these girls all the time. And, and from those nationals, we'll be able to pick uh, a pretty competitive team, I think, for the the T20 regional World Cup qualifiers that we've got coming up in. September. That is one of the things with American cricket and you know especially women's cricket is you know, how do you select a team when the you know the country's huge and and the, the game is spread out so much across the the country so I guess looking at that the the women's regional how did that all sort of come about and and you know behind the scenes how are you looking for those talents the talent ID that you're talking about? Um the, I mean the regionals came about just about that having that that process and, and and being able to understand how we're going to be able to get girls playing competitively against each other but also not have to be spending a trillion dollars on people flying all the way from the east coast to the west coast regularly at least sort of making it semi-affordable because the girls you know had to pay for their own trips for for regionals which obviously is a, if they're flying across the other side of the country it can get quite expensive so we're sort of trying to keep it as low cost as we could but at the same time still very competitive as well as you know trying to get the girls to have some sort of identity and and affiliate with uh either their city or their region and eventually their conference so east and west has always been a really easy uh competition over here in in, a, in the u.s there's always a, a natural rivalry there so with our regions and because of our limited numbers that we've got and depth of talent at the moment there's the four regions are um what we divided the country into as opposed to if the boy you look at the boys system they've got the zonal system which are the six zones so over time we're definitely looking at expanding that by doing some further talent ids we've already spotted some young girls already that we missed in our talent ids in the last couple of years so that's been really exciting and obviously as the girls get older as soon as they hit 13 they're allowed to come into our talent um, and high performance programs so we're seeing some really good young talent coming through and we've also got an under 19 nationals that we've got that runs after our senior nationals in florida uh, in August, which will be really exciting to see these young girls actually playing against girls of their own age instead of, you know, always being in a senior women's competition. So that's going to be really exciting to see where they're at at the moment. And we've bought ourselves a bit of time on that one as well with the um, Under-19 Girls World Cup being put off till 2023. So we've got a lot of time to really nurture these young girls and get them training hard and, you know, getting them motivated and driven and inspired to really be the best cricketers that they can be. And, and by the looks of it, from what I've seen, there's a lot of enthusiastic talent right around the age of 
14, 15 years old, which, you know, pushing back a U19 two years can be pretty heavy if you have a lot of good 17 and 18 year olds. But the way I see it, there are a lot, the best group to me is kind of that 14, 15 year old group right now anyways. And um, one of the things I, I also really love about this regionals concept is, as Nick pointed out, we don't have a whole lot of women playing cricket and the nation is massive. So the solution was to break into the four zones and then narrow every round. It's not like a team moves on to the next round. It's you repick the teams every round. So you take, you're guaranteed to take the best talent from each round into the next round. And I think that's just a really smart way to do it. And, and right now it's, it's nice to see things like this happening when for years, a lot of us have speculated, what's the best way to do this? Ideas have been thrown around and, and this, this seems like a, the logical choice. Yeah. Well, we were sort of hoping that it's able to be manipulated over and sort of be flexible and adapt with the growth. And we're hoping that there's going to be a lot of growth in the country, obviously with the, the game. So, you know, we can develop it into and working towards, you know, doing the same as the men and having the six zones eventually. But at the same time, for the moment, it's really good. We've just got a senior women's regionals and potentially, you know, we'll look for, to doing an underage girls regionals as well. So we can start breaking it down with the more numbers that we get and the, the more exposure that we're getting as well. So, yeah, it's been, so far, it's been really good. We're just hoping we get some games in this weekend. And and, and I, what I really like as well is we're actually, you know, using T20 cricket and 50 over cricket in the, in the sort of same competition at the moment. So that girls are, mm, yeah. you know, able to really think about the game and, and work out strategically what are the differences between 50 over cricket that haven't played a lot of that but we have qualified for the um, world cup qualifiers in december at this stage in, in bangladesh so we had to make sure that we had some girls coming through having played some 50 over cricket and at a high level and even in raleigh the first uh, 50 over game was not was not pretty but they learned very quickly overnight about what they did wrong what they did right and that's what we've been trying to teach them particularly in 2020 when we didn't have any cricket and i was stuck in australia so we did a lot of meetings online and we spoke a lot about the mental side of the game and all the tactics around it and doing a lot of analysis and that's sort of stuff and it's been really good I can see immediately uh, the effect that it's had on a few of the girls because they think about the game more and as to why things happen and and that's obviously what you need for a 50 over game you know it's quite a a different game completely than the the T20 game so it's been exciting in that way as well as being able to get girls having you know batting for longer periods bowling longer spells uh, and getting a lot more cricket under their belt which is what we want. Now you, you mentioned that there's you know, some talent coming through and, and a lot of the younger girls are, are really impressive. Who are some of the standout performers that you think are, you know, ones to watch out for in the upcoming qualifiers and, and other squads being selected? Yes, look, California seems to be a bit of a hotbed for young kids coming through that are very, very talented. They're, you know, they've got a good setup and obviously great weather. So they get plenty of opportunity to play cricket. So there's quite a group of, of young kids coming through there at the moment our the captain of the USA women's team is Sindhu Shahasha and she's the wicket-keeping number three bat. And uh, she's getting a lot of pressure put on her by a young kid called Anika Colan, who was keep- has been keeping at a lot of the, the boys' tournaments around around the country. And she's only a young 14-year-old, so she's got a, a couple of years to keep learning, but her work ethic is fantastic. And, and she's really exciting, opening bat as well. Uh, and her and Sindhu work very closely together as well, which is great. And that's what we want to encourage from our older players. Clearly, they're not going to play forever, but we also want them mentoring and, and encouraging these young kids that are coming through that potentially will take their spots. Uh, and, and that's what we want. We want it to be ongoing 
going. So yeah, so Anika is definitely one of them. We've got uh, we've got a, a few. There's Chetna Pagidala from LA. It was a young kid that we hadn't seen, only 13 year old, but really dominated with the bat and ball in. Uh, and, we, and we just couldn't go past her uh, to select her in this regionals, even though she was only 13. But she was quite a mature 13. We're very conscious of some of these kids that are coming through to make sure that we're not exposing them to you know situate adult situations that they wouldn't be ready for. And um, but she's exceptional and she'll be a very very good player uh as well there was a young kid as well Taranam Chopra who we saw up in another 14 year old who we saw in the regionals at, in Morrisville from up north and uh, another fantastic young player bat bat wise her footwork to spinners is the best I've seen and she's 14 bowls a little off spinners still working a little bit on that she struggled a little bit on the turf pitch because she's never played on turf before and she had spikes on so she was really struggling mm. to her feet gripping more than she was used to so you know these are some of the, the funny issues that we have coming through but some of these kids they're just you know they've got this confidence when they play and it's fantastic to see these young kids coming through and there's even kids that didn't quite make the regionals purely because they're kids and there's lots of other senior players that are maybe just outperforming them this year but you know next year that might be a completely different story and we've got the under 19 nationals that these kids can get pushed straight through to so I'm really excited about seeing what the under 19 nationals is going to is going to bring for us because a lot of these girls that played in the intra-regionals could go straight into that despite missing the regionals so we'll still get a few more there's one girl that I'm particularly um, keen to see is, is Rishka Kuma uh, who's a young girl from I think she's from Michigan, but she flew to Boston to be able to play in the uh, in the in their team because she's pretty keen. So really excited to see what she can also offer, despite not being selected for the regionals. I really look at, at her as an outstanding player. Reminds me a little bit of Nicola Carey from the Australian women's team. You know, just runs in off a very yeah. just a pretty slow run up, but whips them in pretty accurate stump to stump bowling and very energetic in the field so yeah we've got a few really good young ones coming through which we're excited about and i've only just touched the surface there so yeah looking forward to what's coming up one of the things we talked about uh when i saw you at the interregionals it's a very important thing it's often overlooked and very seldom talked about but how important it is to have the camaraderie in a team we talked about how important it is for, for these ladies to play on a on a women's team instead of always trying to play on a men's team. It's preference, of course, but there's a sense that something's being built. And that's that's a very important psychological part of it is that it, having them have pride in a team and being around a team that they enjoy and being with teammates that they can spend time with together is uh, so overlooked sometimes, especially when we're talking about higher level cricket. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it just, it also creates like the camaraderie that you're talking about. You don't find that when you're at a combine, you know, you just, everyone's sort of performing for themselves where this really shows who the team players are, how the groups gel together. Like the last game in the regionals, they won by a run, you know, Holly Charles comes out and hits a six and then they run a single on the last ball to win by one run. And, you know, the team ran on the pitch like it was the World Cup. It was fantastic, you know, to see that. You're not going to have that in a combine, you know. You want to be able to. You've spent a few days with these other girls, really bonded with them, and it's it's a really nice feeling because even though cricket's an individual sport, it still involves that team element, and that's a big part of the successful teams. Aren't just about having great individuals. It's also about how they're working together and what what they can bring to enhance that that sort of team bonding. So, and and as you mentioned before, and by playing with girls as well, they get better opportunities. If they're playing in men's and boys teams, they're not playing in key positions. They're not opening the batting. They're not opening the bowling. They've, they've yeah. been, and the, you know, we've copped a bit of criticism. I think for a number of wides that have been had in during the interregionals and maybe the, the regionals as well. 
But the number of girls that have actually ever bowled with a new ball is limited because they don't get those opportunities. Either they're training with a rubbish old ball or they're playing in a men's or boys team and they bowl, you know, second or third change. So the, the beauty of playing with other women is that they get to play in key areas. They're batting number three. They're opening the bowling. They're bowling the death overs. They're playing in these positions where they're learning really quickly on their feet and it's all intrinsic and that's the best way to learn. So, and they're enjoying and hanging out with, you know, people they consider their friends from then on. So it's moments like that that they're not going to, uh, you can't create those moments. They just that they just happened on their own. I can't. You can't manufacture that. Exactly. You're not counting on a forward-thinking men's team yeah. to help this person along. You know them basically winning the lottery in that case by being on a, such a team. So those things are going to naturally happen, like they do. You yeah. know, in cricket. Yeah, absolutely. Just just on that. Um, you know, the idea of the, the girls playing in boys' teams and, and, and all of that sort of thing. Something that's sort of always been a bit of a mystery for me is what what is the U.S. domestic women's scene like? You know, are there women's clubs or are the women's teams playing in leagues? Or, you know, what are the number of kind of grassroots players that you're working with? What's it all like for you? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. <laughs> and I haven't got a good answer for you, unfortunately, either. But... Um... <laughs> I know in in, uh, in California there is one women's team that is involved in a, a men's competition. There aren't any women's competitions that are week in, week out currently. Uh, they do have a few tournaments that most of the girls, and this is how it's worked in the past, is they they all band together with their mates or they just register for a tournament that just happens to happen over one weekend and they all play against each other and then they all go back to their, their cities that they're from and don't play any more cricket for another six weeks or so. And then there's another tournament somewhere else and they all fly there. So sustainability is pretty poor on that. Obviously a fantastic experience for them. It's like going on a tour all the time, but regular cricket is not happening, which is what they need to be able to uh, incorporate all the stuff that they're learning, particularly in our training groups at the moment. We've got an under 19 training group and a senior training group. And if they have, doesn't matter how many nets you do, if you're not actually taking that into a game and implementing it in games, it's going to be very difficult to be able to perform on the international level, which we're, you know, obviously trying to do with the senior women's team at the moment. So ideally that's what we're trying to work on. So all those cities that were involved, the 12 cities for the interregionals, what we'd really like them to do is firstly to try and work on the squads that they might've had from their cities. You know, you had 15, 20, 30 girls all register in that city and try out for that team. Well, there straight away, you've got two to three teams that potentially could be playing week in, week out against each other. And just starting to, again, increase the base on this pyramid, which is what we're trying to do so that girls, when they first want to start playing cricket, they can come straight into that level. They don't have to suddenly go into a combine or go to a tournament that they've never faced a hard ball before. And it's quite intimidating and, you know, mightn't be the best first experience for cricket for them. So ideally from those interregionals, we're trying to build down as well as build up to go to the regionals, nationals, and then obviously in the, the USA team. So, you know, we're here in in Texas at the moment and I've, you know, had a few meetings overnight, uh, you know, with regards to how we're building Houston, Austin and Dallas and what we're doing and also using those interregional connections as well to occasionally once a month maybe get that interregional team to again have Houston play Dallas again so that they're still getting a high quality game but they're also building down and training with a, a larger group of girls underneath that so that they're still going to get regular cricket. The problem over here is limited facilities and, and sharing it with the guys, you know, getting them to allow the girls to have time to to use those facilities and they're certainly not going to be turf pitches they'll all be synthetic but you know that's what we're trying to do at the moment we're trying to grow the game usa cricket are working with mlc to try and make sure we've got more facilities available for for all cricketers male and female because we just need more and more over here if we're going to you know continue to grow the game and grow our numbers we need to have the facilities to be able to cater for for those numbers that are going to grow yeah and one of the things i've always thought about with cricket is it's so important to get to get the women's game going in 
going the right direction in this country. Just because most of the world is kind of retrograde and they're thinking about women's sports and USA in general uh, is among, you know, probably half the world that, that actually isn't, that values women's sport, especially with uh, Title IX and whatnot with uh, NCAA. So it seems like to me, this has always been a very important thing because really it, it, in the big picture, you, it doesn't matter who's leading the charge. It just matters that somebody is for the greater good of the game of, of cricket. And here, women have, uh, in my mind, such a great chance to lead the pack. Obviously, a little bit further to go than the men are currently now. But uh, I think that gap can be lessened very quickly. I, I, I tend to agree. I think, I mean, America's, you know, the land of opportunity. I mean, you've got so many, the biggest media presence in the world is in is in America. So, you know, there's so many opportunities and commercial opportunities at the moment. Women's, women's sport at the moment's, you know, pretty popular and pretty sexy to be involved in. So I'm sure we'll be able to find a lot of you know, commercial partners and sponsors that will be able to assist with the growth of the game and, and, and assist with the girls playing more and more cricket. But yeah, it's an opportunity, I think, for us to very quickly move up the rankings and you know we could potentially be in the top 20 you know in two years time if we really make sure that we make this a priority in in the states i mean we're obviously seeing women's soccer do it and how how well that went i was watching last night the wnba game uh, versus the USA women's team. And, and that's all developed very, very quickly. And I think it's 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 such a big possibility for the game over here because at the moment it's a gender neutral sport. People don't know it's a male game, female game, whatever it is. It hasn't got the stigma or the history around it that it might have in all the Commonwealth countries like Australia. I mean, Australia's probably only in the last 20 years really started taking women's cricket probably a little more seriously. So America can you know, bypass all that, not have to worry about it and just start being on up, upwards trajectory. So, which is really exciting um, to be able to do that. And obviously, you know, there, there's plans for the for cricket to be involved in the 2028 LA Olympics, um, which again, you know, Americans love the Olympics. I mean, who doesn't love the Olympics? And we're all excited, but by having cricket in it, I mean, there's a, a fantastic opportunity for people to go, hey, I could, rep- I could play for my country if I start playing cricket right now. So we've got to start getting ready for this inundation of uh, boys and girls, men and women to, who might want to play the game. They're they're pretty curious. I get asked about it all the time. Everyone wants to know about it. But uh, yeah, we just need to start getting that those numbers on the field. Well, that, that was one of uh, one of our questions. Is, you know, do you have any sort of inside goss on what's going on with the the LA twenty twenty eight? You know, the negotiations or the you know machinations behind the scenes. Yeah, I'm talking to the wrong person, I'm afraid. <laughs> it's not my <laughs> about the Olympics. I don't know what's happening behind the scenes, but I know that it's certainly, you know, we're taking it very seriously, um, you know, talking to the right people about how do we actually get this this happening. Again, looking at developing facilities will assist with that if we're going to, so we're putting all those sort of things in place by working with MLC as well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, unfortunately I can't give you too much insight there, but at the same time I think it would be an amazing uh, opportunity to, to have America, you know, play in the Olympics in, in a cricket and host it at the same time. So that'd be fantastic. And you mentioned before, looking forward to having people interested, curious about the game crossing over maybe from other sports even. And one of those athletes was uh, Erica Rendler, who played field hockey in, in college and played softball in high school. And uh, you yourself didn't come into competitive cricket until I think you were 16 years old. Yeah, 17. Yeah, yeah. 17. Yeah. So it's possible to, to cross over. Absolutely. And, yeah. And the women's game, is, to me, is like hearing you talk about this. Nobody talks about 
bringing crossover athletes in the men's game in the USA. And I think I think they should do that too. But it's nice and refreshing as someone myself who found cricket late, late and early in my life to hear somebody talking about that sort of thing. It, it, to me, it's a big relief because you, you, what you do when you do that is you, you build fans as well. And with your history in the AFL, working with, I believe it was Queensland, spreading the popularity of the Aussie rules football there, uh, you already have experience with this. Uh, yeah. And Australian football in, in Australia is generally a Southern sport. So Queensland is not really a, a, an AFL state. So it was, you know, there was a lot of barriers trying to get women and, and football as well, women's football being, and, and the wrong type of football in Queensland. So it did make it pretty tough initially. But once, you know, we started putting some things in place, like what we're doing at the moment with USA Cricket and some competitions and structures, you know, people started to come and, and want to play and girls were getting more and more excited about it. We were getting into schools and it just became a lot easier to grow. And it actually escalated pretty quickly. Uh, I started in 2007 with Australian football and I left in 2013 and we started with 3,000 girls and I finished with about 45,000 girls so and then it just kept going from there which was fantastic and that's it's it's the build it and and they will come sort of scenario and I think that's what we're at at the moment with regards to the sport in in the USA so I think the the crossover of sports is a is a big one there's plenty of college athletes out there that haven't made you know and they've got good elite mindedness they've lived it for three to four years uh, you know, they're good athletes and they're just sort of going to waste because they didn't happen to make the professional scene. So naturally, we'd be very interested in, in seeing those people. And, and potentially that's part of our talent identification. We'll go around and promote the game around the country. Uh, how we do that at this stage is we're still working on that. But, you know, it's a very exciting time. You look at someone like Ash Barty, just won the um, of Wimbledon. Former Brisbane Heat player, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, took a year off tennis to play cricket because she was actually missing the camaraderie. She wanted some mates around her and she just wanted some that team environment. And obviously, being on the road in tennis is pretty hard. And just that break every now and then just freshened her up. So I'm sure the Brisbane Heat girls are still claiming that they've helped her out get this, to get the French <laughs> Open title and now Wimbledon. So she's ticking them off. But And it'll be really exciting to get her over here. Obviously, the US Open's uh, September, I think it is, late August, September. So... You know, be curious. She might want a game when she comes here. So we'll see. Uh, we'll put it out there for her to see if she'll come along. Yeah, you mentioned Erica Rendler, and she started playing for the US, I think, probably close to 10 years ago now. It's interesting. I've always found it a bit strange that there aren't more converts from other sports because, you know, you look at Thailand and, and how they uh, created a, a cricket team basically out of softball players and then built from there. And so it, it seems like a, a model that is is working in the women's game you know in brazil as well you know the captain roberta moretti came to the game pretty late as well so it's a model that has worked and it's it's interesting that you don't have more i think um i think we're still looking at ways of growing the game i think at the moment we're just trying to we've had ian higgins at the helm now for nearly coming up to two years in September as our CEO. And he's really trying to connect the whole of the USA and the multiple leagues. It's it's not quite as simple and tidy as say an English system or a New Zealand or Australian system where it's all state-based and everyone just fits under one little block. It's it's quite a complicated uh, system out there. And at the moment, he's just trying to make sure that we're getting everything on, on track and crossing our T's and dotting our I's and doing getting that sort of stuff ready for potentially how we're going to launch this into the schools and how we're going to find all these extra players that might want to transition over from other sports. I mean, obviously, this competition has generated a fair bit of interest and we got a lot of girls um, registering to play in the intra-regionals in the first place, which was fantastic. Uh, again, I hope that just continues to grow the media presence behind it. 
Uh, we've been really pushing it out. We're getting a lot more followers. Our Facebook uh, has gone through the roof. The number of members in USA Cricket is up to nearly 20,000, I think, now. So we're getting a lot of people, you know, in that sort of social media space, which I think will eventually hopefully correlate with having our growth and our participation numbers improve over the next sort of year or two. So it's certainly not out of the question. It's just about, I suppose, strategizing exactly how we're going to approach our talent IDs and how we're going to get some crossovers from other sports uh, in that regard. So it's, it's, it's not out of the question at the moment. And obviously we're open for anyone to play. Uh, and we've had a few people come from other sports who've never played before, which is great. And a few girls coming from tennis ball cricket, because that's quite a big sport over here as well. And just trying to convert them over to hardball cricket. But there really needs to be a, a you know some sort of strategic approach to how we're going to do this and how we're going to manage it and continue continue to provide opportunities for both boys and girls to, to play the game from a young age or, or whenever they want to start it, even if it is as a, a 30-year-old as, as Erica did. So, you know, we're more than happy for athletes to come into our program for sure. And in, in the process of uh, your research and connecting with these communities, you've seen quite a bit of the country already, haven't you? <laughs> oh, no. I should have joined uh, some sort of frequent flyer program. I've wasted all that. So anyway, but it's been really good though, because I've got to speak to a lot of, you know, a lot of volunteers. I mean, we've got a really good base of volunteers now. I think we've got 43 youth volunteers and we've got maybe 12 women um, volunteer coordinators around the country. So it's been good to be able to catch up with them and speak to them about local issues and how we can support them and, and start again, as I mentioned, you know, putting that strategy in place as to, you know, having a local strategy, not just necessarily a broad strategy, having both so that, that we can really work on you know what are the differences obviously here in um, you know Houston at the moment torrential rain and hurricanes happening and up in the northeast you know it potentially is, it snows in winter so what do you you know how do we combat that <laughs> stuff and how do we find facilities for them to train in the off season and you know there's lots of different things that um, that could affect people locally because it's such a huge country but it's been fantastic to be able to travel around I've been very impressed with you know the passion that, that I see around the country from a lot of the members and a lot of the volunteers which has been fantastic it's it's again it just about trying to sort of keep up with the growth of it, I suppose, and keep planning for that growth to ensure that we can cater for the hordes of people that are going to want to play cricket in the future. A new thing I've seen that I've seen in the process of, of you guys coordinating with these volunteers and naming them as women uh, volunteer coordinators is uh, inclusion of people who don't have traditional cricket backgrounds. For example, Emily Reynolds, I, I talked to her. She's pretty new to cricket, but she's incredibly enthusiastic about it. And I think that that's such an important thing. And I think it's great that you're connecting with the community that wants to be involved, whether they've followed cricket since they were children or if they're newly discovering it. I think it's excellent that you're including people who probably wouldn't have been included if you had done this thing a few years ago. Yeah, well, I mean, volunteers are volunteers. It doesn't matter if they actually don't know what the game is. If you need someone to, to ring around all the cricket leagues, it doesn't matter if they don't know what cricket is. I mean, they know what a phone is and they know how to speak. Um, <laughs> want to come down to, to an event or set something up. So, yeah, absolutely. If people are wanting to get involved and volunteer their time and help drive this, this game, it's brilliant. Like, so we're hoping there's a lot of parents out there and obviously young kids coming through at the school level who see this game. The parents might have no idea about what cricket's about, but that doesn't mean that they still can't get involved and drive the kids around to, to where the games might be or a system of putting covers on like today, you know, to make sure that we can get our games going ahead and, and things like that. So absolutely engaging with the with mainstream America is, is absolutely the plan so that we can grow the game. We can't, at the moment, we do have a lot of expats playing through from India, Pakistan, 
the Caribbean. But the, the point is we want it to be a game for everyone. It's, it's you know, we want mainstream America. If it's going to succeed, we need mainstream America to also embrace it and, and get involved in it, which I find really, really exciting. So, yeah, we definitely need those volunteers that are putting their hand up makes it really, really fun. So, so Julia, now that you're in the US as as the coach there, I'm just sort of wondering a bit on, on your side of things. How did you come to this job and, you know, even find out that it was happening and what was the process for you know, for hiring you? Uh, it's a good question. Um, in 2017, I, uh, along with three other coaches in Australia, got the opportunity to do a professional development trip to the United States to have a look at some universities and some professional sporting clubs and to have a look at their facilities and their elite programs and what they're doing and sort of just take some ideas from from them, I suppose, to be able to, how can we implement them back home in our own programs, So, which was great fun. So we you know went to Detroit and Chicago and San Francisco and went to quite a few universities um, the Chicago Cubs, the San Francisco Giants. You know, it was it was brilliant fun and, and learned heaps, you know, about how they ran their program. So really enjoyed that. And part of that program was also going out to San Jose and the American women's team were having a trial that um, that weekend. So got to hang out with them for a couple of hours. And I was, you know, they're out there and on this dodgy synthetic pitch and the grass is <laughs> about a foot high and uh, they've got a couple of girls over in the nets, which are the, the old nets that have the posts on them that, you know, if you hit them, it's, ricochets back and hits you in the head so (laughs) and not one of them was complaining they were so pumped about being there they were just you know really excited about the game and it was just quite refreshing to to see that level of enthusiasm about the game so and and I was extremely surprised at the standard as well like you don't think America and and cricket in the same sentence generally so I was really quite surprised at the standard and, and happy and I thought it was great and and thoroughly enjoyed myself the next year I found myself, I'd finished my contract in Tasmania had finished and I just decided to travel for six months just to work out what I was doing with my life and, you know, have one of those moments and um, got contacted again by Cricket Australia who had a relationship with USA Cricket and they were, had some talent ID positions and combines happening and would I be able to come over and help in Chicago and, and New York for both in the men's and the, and the women's program. So I went, sweet, that'd be fantastic. I was traveling in the Americas at the time anyway, so... It seemed like a perfect um, solution. So, yeah, went again, can reconnected with everyone again, you know, just really enjoyed the environment and the, the vibe that they had over here. And, and then at the end, of, I was coming towards the end of my trip and I was in Argentina and I, I got a phone call saying that, you know, we're thinking of reviewing the, the coaching system at the moment in, in the USA cricket and would you be interested in, in potentially applying for the head coaching position? It's going to be advertised. And I was like, yeah, sweet, you know, just send it to me when it comes out. So it all seemed to sort of fall in place and it was... Um, um, interviewed in January and got the job in February and turned up in April. Once I got my visa, that was the hard bit. Um, yeah. yeah, so it sort of happened pretty quickly, but at the same time it was it just felt right. I really quite enjoy the whole development process and, you know, being able to initiate something, a bit like the, the with AFL Queensland when I worked with them, a little bit like when I was with Cricket Tasmania as well. Their, their cricket system was pretty rudimentary and, uh, you know, we really had to put in some things in place that would assist with growing the game and continuing it move, moving forward. So this was just on a bigger scale being a USA Cricket. So it really excited me, the, the idea of that position and it still does I that's one major thing that I really enjoy about it is the fact that there's this program that you can mold and sculpt and and leads certain directions and it's really quite fun 
you know, having it in its infancy the, the way it is and, and working on how you can make it successful and grow it, you know, with time constraints and budget constraints and a, a few things like that makes it nice and challenging. But at the same time, I, I really enjoy that process and, and being able to see the girls that, you know, that I didn't hear one complaint from any of the girls at the regionals. They were just so excited that they were playing in these competitions. And, and that makes me feel really good knowing that I've, you know, had it played a part in, in getting that that whole system put together so that we could, one, select girls fairly, but at the same time offer great opportunities for, for girls playing the game. That's the end of part one. We'll have part two and a bunch more news on next week's show. See you all next week. Yeah!